Well, good morning, church family. How are you today? Would you stand with us? Wave at somebody across the room. Let them know that you are glad they are here this morning. Aren't you glad to be in church? <laughs> serve a good God, amen? Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in his name. Thanks be to God who always causes us to win, yeah. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in his name. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. We have overcome. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have overcome by the power of your name. Jesus, you're the
Sometimes even the worship team wants to go back to when we started worshiping the Lord and bring back the songs that speak life, that speak victory. You know, I love worship songs, but there's a lot of times that songs get magnified over the word of God. So if your worship songs are not bringing glory to the word of God and to your king, what are they good for? Father, we're here this morning to worship you. We thank you for your word that stands true above all else, God, that we can stand on you knowing that you will never fail us, that you will never let us down. You are who you say you are. You'll do what you say you'll do. You'll be who you've always been to us. Jesus and our hope isn't you alone and our strength in your mighty name our peace in the darkest day remains Jesus this we know we will see the enemy run this we know we will see the victory come we hold on to every promise you've ever made Jesus you are exalted above anything else in this world, that our lives would focus on you, that our hearts would be set upon you and the work that you've called us to do, God, for you are great. Praise you, Father. Would you lift your hands and sing this? And we trust you, we trust you for your ways higher than our own we trust you we trust 
your name. Hallelujah. Lord Almighty, our Savior, Defender, our Healer, you're our all in all. We worship you today. We magnify your name. We glorify you. You are our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Glory and honor to you, O Lord. May our words honor and glorify you may our lives honor and glorify you and here when we gather together in our worship and in our singing <laughs> may we honor and we do glorify you hallelujah amen don't you love Jesus amen hallelujah he's our joy Amen. Before you're seated, before you greet at each other, you've got to look at whoever is on that first camera today, Ben, and wave at the camera and say hello to everybody who's at home. We are so glad that they're watching, having church with us from home. And then before you're seated, why don't you give an elbow bump or a hug or a high five or a virtual high five or whatever you want to do. <laughs> and then after you've done that, that's not near enough. That, we're more friendly than that. 
Okay, just wave at least. All right. Y'all are ready to sit. Praise the Lord. We want to dismiss our kids at this time, first grade through fifth grade, to their class, their elementary class. Praise the Lord. If you're visiting with us today, today for the very first time, we are so glad that you're here. And if you just lift up your hand, we want to everybody to see where you are. Yeah, I met this family back here. Jeff, and found out that we know Anthony and Carol Storino. They knew them. They went to their church. Friends of ours, we have a lot in common. Anyway, it was wonderful to talk to them before the service. And so uh, be sure to reach out to them today and say hi to them. You're glad they're here. Also, uh, Paul, and is Casey here too? I saw Paul before the service. Where are you, Paul? Paul Dubs is here. Where? Where? I don't see him. Is he on a camera or something? He's fellowshipping in the lobby. You haven't been in worship, Paul? Paul, is, Paul has been, uh, was a part of our church for many years. He and his wife and his family. Paul worked for us for how many years, Paul? About five? How many? Ten. You did not. Anyway, he's going to probably go sit with Adam back at the media booth because that's where he's used to being that's where he worked when he was with us he helped us launch our television ministry and um so he's a real blessing we're really glad they're in salt lake city utah but they're still part of our family amen we love them and we're glad that they're here today so be sure to go see check out paul before or after the service today we want to let you know that there is no uh Sunday night service tonight, which is normally just online, uh, so there will not be a service tonight uh, online. I won't say why, but you figure it out, but there will not be one tonight, but we will be back Wednesday night at 7 o'clock online only. Praise the Lord. We want, I want to give you a couple of uh, a praise report. Uh, we've been uh, just this year, we are believing God for an increase of people being born again in our families, our neighbors, people that we come in contact with. People are searching for answers. And so our prayer is, Lord, open doors of utterance and give us boldness to reach more people for Jesus. Amen. Well, one of the ladies from our church we shared last Sunday that she was in Mission Hospital uh, with COVID, um, but she, uh, we were texting every day, numerous times a day, and if anybody ever had the victory, she did. And she preached more to me than I preached to her. And so uh, she was just, she just saw God move, and she recovered supernaturally. In the meantime, while she was in the hospital, last Sunday we reported that she had gotten one person born again. Well, she got another person born again last week as well. So she got two people born again while she was in the hospital, and then um, she, I guess she was alone for a while, and then she, one day she wrote me, she goes, well, I have a roommate now, and so she's list, like listening to Pastor Mike all the time, especially healing school, keeping her faith built up, so she's listening to Pastor Mike, uh, and uh out loud. He was out loud. She didn't have her earphones on. And so she, you know, she's very personable. So she's talking to the lady. Well, she got the lady listening to Pastor Mike and, and just like, wow, I never heard any of that before. That's really good. She's a believer. And so anyway, she was just, uh, 
she is home now, praise the Lord. She's doing well. She had a supernatural recovery. She had peace and joy while she was there, and she didn't only get two people saved. She's witnessing to everybody at Mission Hospital, praise the Lord. So uh, that's, a, that's a good report. Um, then also, I just uh, felt like, um, you know, we have, um, thank, we're just so blessed that we have numerous friends that we've known for many, many years. 30 and 40 years, I know that's hard to believe, but around the world. And so this last week, uh, we wrote, wrote back and forth with some friends of ours, and, and they're gonna, Adam's going to throw up their pictures. Some of you will remember Jim and Faye Andrews. They're in uh, Peru, um, and we've supported them for probably about 25 years. We've done mission trips. Um, Pastor Mike has gone down there himself and preached some different uh, pastors' conferences and such through the years. And so um, what I thought, when I was talking to Faye, I was asking her, you know, what it's like in Peru. And I thought I would share that with you. Just a, just a few things as far as what's happening in Peru. Are they showing, I see smiles, are they showing the hats? That's, okay, I saw a few people smiling. That's um, the traditional Peruvian garb. <laughs> and um, so anyway, Jim and Faye, thankfully, were in the U.S. when the whole pandemic started. And they're so grateful because otherwise they would be in Peru. And it's very austere in Peru. Um, Faye was sharing me some of the things that are going down, and we're going to pray for for them. We're going to pray for the pastors and the church down there as well. Um, okay, so a lot of places, they only have six or eight people in a very small apartment. You know, it's not like the U.S., right? We know this. And so six or eight people are in an apartment, and only one person may leave to go get food. And it must always be the same person, okay? They have curfews. Apparently, just recently, it locked down tighter again. And if you, there have been, there have been reports, she said, you know, they're in contact. They, they started many churches in Peru. They oversee many pastors in Peru. Um, they, they didn't, they haven't just had a church and had one Bible school in Lima. Their reach was in to Peru and many other Spanish-speaking countries. So they're in touch with a lot of people. And so they said, you know, uh, some of this information doesn't reach the news. We're not surprised. But, um, uh, okay, so if you have more than 10 people, for example, at a birthday in your home, the police will come in and break it up. There's a, been reports that people have been shot for breaking curfew. They obviously haven't. Nobody's able to have church in the country. It's all online. And so um, it's just, you know, in other parts of the world, what's all going on? It, it's not just a U.S. thing. It's a major global thing that's happening. And I wanted to share that. We are going to pray for them when we pray today. But also, I wanted to share that so that we can rejoice. We're in church today. We got out today. We are very blessed, and especially where we are in California, 
We are so blessed. I can tell you, I thank God every day. Thank God I'm getting out of the house. Thank God I can go to church. And we need to rejoice about that. God has been so good to us. Amen. And so we need to remember, amen, we need to remember our, our family around the world in our prayers and in these different countries. And so that's why I share it with you. These people are very close to us, dear to their heart. We've met many of these pastors in, these, in, in Peru. And um, so we're going we're gonna to also pray for them today. Um, as a reminder, February 28th, that's coming up in a few weeks, immediately after the Sunday morning service, we're going to have a baptism just outside here. Um, we had a few people that asked about it, and so um, if you or uh, somebody that you know wants to be baptized, you can, you can let us know about it or just show up. But we recommend that you get, there's a CD at the information center in the lobby on the importance of baptism. <clears throat> and even if you've been baptized and you've never heard that teaching, I recommend that you get it. It's a great thorough teaching on water baptism. A lot of people have different ideas about what baptism is, especially if maybe they were uh, raised in different denominations. Uh, but Pastor Mike gives really good Bible teaching on what the importance of baptism scripturally. Amen. Praise the Lord. I wanted to just share a few uh, scriptures with you that I was reading this morning before we pray. Um, it's in the Amplified and Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9. Um, this just came up in my heart this morning as I was praying and felt like we need to, to read this together. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6 in the Amplified. Now remember this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously that blessings may come to others will also reap generously and be blessed. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in him, and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. Hallelujah. And you know, um, I was just uh, meditating on the way coming to church. The very first way, you know, that and the really most simple way that we learn to be doers of the word is in our giving. The Bible says where your treasure is, there is your heart also. We can locate a person where their heart is by where they put their money and where their treasure is. And so this, just the simple things that the Bible talks to us about tithing and, and honoring God with the first 10% of what we take in is the, it really Probably the easiest step of obedience there is. I thought about this and kind of giggled in the car. I thought it's easier to tie, to learn to tithe than, no, wait, I wrote it down for this very purpose. <laughs> it's much easier to be a doer of the word in your giving 
than it is in controlling your mouth. It's true. I mean, only in the last few months have I finally learned to control my mouth. No, I'm joking. But uh, being a doer of the word and listening to the Holy Spirit in our giving, it opens up the door. The Bible says, as we looked at that scripture last week, he opens a window of heaven and pours us out a blessing. There's not room enough to receive. It opens the door for us to, to uh, more easily, when we just obey in that one area, it opens a door for so many other areas in our life. Hallelujah. And so we purpose, amen, to be doers of the word in every area of our life. Amen. Not just so that we can be given to, but first of all, to be a giver. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, first of all, <clears throat> we thank you that we can gather together to worship you that we can gather together to honor you and to hear your word. We trust the presence of the Holy Spirit today to minister to each heart and each life. Give us direction, wisdom, revelation, correction. Whatever it is, Lord, that we need, we are open to it. We're, we're for it. We pray for our pastor friends and those that we know, the church in Peru today. Father, we pray that you would strengthen the pastors and the church in Peru in the name of Jesus. Give them creative ideas for preaching the gospel during this time. We pray, O oh Lord, that they would rise up in greater power and greater glory than they have ever been. The reign of God would fall on the country of Peru, Father, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we declare over our giving that we purpose to be doers of the word of God. With joy we give. We're cheerful givers. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before they start, we're just going to lift our hands and just say this after me. Lord, I'm a cheerful giver. Uh, let's all have a smile on our face. We're cheerful givers, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Would you guys stand and worship with us for this last song? lost but he brought me oh his love for me oh his love for me who the sun sets free oh is free indeed I'm a child of God yes I am free last he has 
your holy name we exalt you oh heavenly father holy father we thank you father for the presence of the holy spirit that's here we thank you that he teaches us and guides us into all truth all reality we thank you father that your word affects a change in our lives so that we are conformed to your image We bless you, Father. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. After God has created everything in this universe, the six days of creation, he identifies his purpose for creation and his purpose for mankind. Genesis 1:26. and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. 
this is the only place where you can find that God is, states his purpose for creation and, and to have authority here on the earth. Now we know some things about God. We know that he's eternal and we know that he never changes. So if, God's, if God never changes and his will never changes, then that means if God's intent in the beginning was for man to have authority on the earth, it still has to be his intent and his will for man to have, the, uh, have authority here on the earth today and forever. God didn't take away or remove the authority that he gave to mankind just because he sinned in the Garden of Eden. God knows the, the, the end of things better than we know what's going on now. And it wasn't a surprise to him for man to fall. In fact, the Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundations of the earth. That just simply means that God's plan included redemption from man who would fall. So he wasn't surprised that Adam fell. And he didn't change his eternal purpose for mankind because he did fall. God said, let man have dominion over all the earth. Now in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the Bible tells us the reaction of the people to the things that he said. He's just finished talking about building your house on the rock rather than building your house on the sand. And he's talking about, of course, building your house on the word of God, which is the rock. But let me read you the last two verses in Matthew chapter 7. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. The folks noticed it doesn't say they were astonished at him. It said they were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching. There was something about Jesus' teaching that was different than anything they'd ever heard. And the Bible tells us what that is. When it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now notice that word one is in italics. Anytime you find a word in italics in the King James translation, it means the translators added it. This word one was not in the original text. But they added it, intending to give us greater understanding of what the Bible is saying. But if you take out that word one, which is not in the original text, and look at the words that are surrounding it, notice it says, as having. He taught them as having authority and not as the scribes. The word as means the manner in which something was done or how. The word having means to hold. So if we read it according to a literal translation, the people were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them because he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Now, folks, this has to be true. If the people, if the Holy Ghost gave us a, a true, accurate, true and accurate representation of what uh, took place here, then it's telling us that the people were not astonished because he was doing miracles. The people were astonished that he's teaching them that they had authority on the earth. You remember Jesus talked about how that he only do, does the things that he sees his father do. The Bible tells us that when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River, 
that the Holy Ghost descended on him in bodily shape as a dove. He said himself that the Son of Man can do nothing of it in and of himself but only what he sees his Father do. In other words, Jesus is saying he's not doing the works because of some inherent power in him as the Son of God. He called himself the Son of Man. He's identifying that his purpose on the earth is to operate as a man anointed of God, not as the Son of God. Now this, would, this makes sense to us if we think it through because if Jesus is here on the earth operating as the Son of God, then why didn't he start doing miracles before age 33 or before age 30 when he entered into his ministry? If he had the same miracle working power because he was the Son of God and if he, if he was here to perform or to operate as the Son of God, then he would have to have had the power and glory of the power of the Holy Ghost before the, the baptism in Jordan River before John baptized him and if he's operating here as the son of God then who can anoint God how is it possible that the baptism of John in the Jordan River could, uh, could result in the Holy Ghost coming upon him to, to anoint him we know he was anointed Acts 10.38 tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. If Jesus was operating as the son of God performing miracles and healings as the son of God and not the son of man then how is it possible that he could have been anointed? But rather if he laid aside his heavenly power and glory, which the Bible says he did in, in Philippians chapter 2, if he laid aside the power and the glory that he had with God before the creation of the earth and came to the earth to be as a man, man's perfect representative, then he would have to have an anointing given to him, not for his own benefit, not so that he could make things happen in his own life and experience and receive the will of God, for himself but he would have to be anointed to be able to, to do miracles and healings and to perform the wonderful works that he did for somebody else's benefit so here where Jesus is teaching that man has authority I, I personally don't believe that there's any greater subject I don't believe there's any greater truth that, the, that needs to be known by the church especially in these last days that the works that Jesus did, he said we'd do also. Well, how are we going to be able to do those? If he was operating as the son of God, there's no way we could do those works. But if he was operating as the son of man who was anointed of the Holy Ghost, then we can do the same things he did. And he said that was the will of the Father for the way that it was supposed to be. He said the works that I do shall you do also and even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. I don't believe there's any greater truth to be known in these last days than the authority that we have as children of God. Let's look at the Genesis account where man fell in Genesis chapter 3. It talks about well, we'll just start in verse 1. I don't want to read the whole thing for the sake of time, but we'll begin with verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the days you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Notice one of the first things that showed up when man fell. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then the story goes on to tell about the curse that would be upon the man and the woman and the earth because of their, their sin, their disobedience to God. Notice, as we said, one of the first things that showed up as a result of the fall was fear. Fear. Fear is one of the greatest tools of the enemy. Fear is designed to be a paralyzing force. There's a story in Luke chapter 18, I believe it is, where Jesus tells a parable, for the, uh, speaks a parable for the purpose of instructing the people to pray and never give up, never quit on your prayers. If you've claimed something by faith and it hasn't shown up and it's been over a long period of time even, don't give up on those words of faith that were spoken. If you've got the word of God for something, and you appropriate it by your words, which is the means and the method whereby we do exercise authority here on the earth. Don't ever give up on those words. Never, 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 never. So Jesus is teaching that parable to encourage people to pray always. And he says this, he talks about the woman that comes to the unjust judge. And the judge doesn't have any respect or care for God or men. And so he decides not to do anything to help her for a period of time. But through her persistence, she wouldn't give up. Her persistence brought her to the place where the unjust judge said, I've got to get rid of this woman and the annoying way that she's dealing with me. And so he avenged her. That's what she was asking him to do. Avenge me of my enemies. In other words, right the wrongs that had been done unto me. Bring justice to bear. And so it, it says that because he was annoyed, not because he respected her position, not because he cared about the injustice that was done to her, but just to keep her from pestering him, he brought her situation to justice. But then it says this. Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. In other words, recognize the principles that we just spoke of where she wouldn't give up. But then he says this, 
He says, shall not God, if the unjust judge uh, vindicated the woman, avenge the woman, then how much more so will God justify his own children? But then he said this. He said, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? Folks, there's something that's more important than justice. And that's our trust in God. I think a lot of people have been, a lot of uh, Christian people have been discouraged by what has happened politically over the last year or so. I know one of the things that the Lord had me to, to, to pray, and this goes back further than just a year, but several years now, the Lord had me to pray that the devil's plans and his agenda would be exposed. Well, we sure got that. I'll have to tell you, I can't say that I really thought this thing through, but looking back on it now, I can see it. I thought that by praying the devil's agenda and his operations would be revealed and exposed, I thought that meant that President Trump would be reelected. I realized that I kind of had that in the back of my mind. That was my intent when I was praying for the devil's plans and purposes to be exposed. Well, we know that didn't happen. Or perhaps you know that it did happen, but it wasn't credited to happen. And I've seen people since the time, since the election, I've seen people trying to put their hope in something other than where God seems to be taking us and leading us in the present day. I know that some people have just about lost their salvation over the fact that the court didn't overturn the election and, and or have a, a new election or something to justify and to avenge wrongs that were, that were made, wrong things that took place. But there's something more important than that. And that is our trust in God. One of the things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, when they asked him about signs of the end, when would he return and so forth, Jesus said, the first thing he said is take heed that no man deceive you. I see a lot of people that are being deceived, at least it looks to me like they're being deceived. You can judge it for yourself. But I see a lot of people that have just about lost their salvation over the fact that the courts haven't overturned the results of the election and they put all their eggs in the political basket, so to speak. But there's something that's much more important than politics, folks. I would greatly delight and I greatly desire that the wrongs would be righted. There are some people I would just love to see going to jail. But there's something more important than that. Our trust in God. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. And the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, let us pass over to the other side. 
And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest, not that thou, carest thou not that we perish? If you're going to die in a boat, you've got to be awake for that. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the, the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? Here's this operation of fear again. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, notice something, folks. If we asked you what is the opposite of faith, most of us would say doubt or unbelief. But Jesus identifies the opposite of faith as fear. He says, why are you so fearful and how is it that you don't have any faith? And of course the implication there is if they're operating in faith then they can't be in fear. But the flip side of that is true too. If you're operating in fear then you can't be in faith. And the most important thing according to what Jesus said was not the circumstances of life going our way but trusting in him. Let's look at some other examples of fear. Look with me to Matthew chapter 14. Beginning in verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. Other translations say fearful, saying, It is the Spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be you, Bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Notice he walked on the water. He's experiencing this miracle. Now let me take a little side journey just to make a couple of points here. One thing I want you to recognize is that Jesus had dealt with his disciples in such a way and their experience with, with him was in such a manner as that they recognized that whatever Jesus could do here on the earth, he wasn't going to take a position and say, you can't do this because I'm the son of God and you're not. But rather they recognized that whatever he was doing was available for them to do too. At least Peter did. Peter said very specifically, if it's you, then let me walk on the water too. And Jesus didn't balk at that. He didn't respond back to Peter and say, Peter, your mouth's going to get you in trouble again here. Don't you know that I'm doing these things that nobody else can do because I'm the son of God? 
Jesus doesn't resist his desire to experience this supernatural and miraculous thing. The only thing Jesus ever told his disciples that they couldn't do with him was go to the cross. Everything else was fair game. And Peter must have known that. If it's you, bid me come to you so that I can experience the same thing. I've never walked on the water before. Now, what would be his purpose for walking on the water? There's no spiritual benefit to it. It's not a matter of Peter walking on the water to bring some, some special or spiritual result. He just says he wants to do it too. In other words, it was his desire to experience what Jesus is doing. And Jesus didn't have a problem with that. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Notice fear brought doubt into play. Folks, if the devil can't make you be afraid, he can't make you fail. Or if we say it this way with just removing the devil from the equation altogether, if you won't fear, you can't fail. Let me show you another example. Look at Mark chapter 5. This is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to lay hands on her for her to be healed. His father is, uh, the little girl's father has come to Jesus and besought him, begged him to come to his house to lay his hands on her that she would live and not die. And on the way, it talks about how the woman with the issue of blood came in, the press behind him and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And the fountain of her blood was dried up. That, that uh, uh, issue of blood was healed. And Jesus knew that power had gone out of him into her. Took time to stop and find out who it was that touched him. And she told him the story, told him how she had spent all that she had on doctors and it was nothing better but rather grew worse and so forth. And so it says, while he yet spake, Jesus just sold her. In verse 34, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Verse 35 says, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Notice what Jesus does in verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. Jesus immediately speaks to stop this guy from doing the wrong thing. From taking a position that will hinder his daughter from receiving her healing. And notice what that was. Notice what Jesus' instruction was. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Time after time after time, God speaks to his people and says, fear not. 
he tells us not to be afraid. You might be interested to know that that phrase, be not afraid, in some form is in the scripture 365 times. One admonition to not be afraid for every day of the year. As we said before, fear is designed and used by the devil as a paralyzing agent. When Peter was walking on the water and then he recognized how high the waves were or how hard the wind was blowing, whatever it was that he recognized or he saw, that caused him to fear. That fear had to paralyze him in order for him to get the results that the Bible said. What I mean by that is the one word that he was operating on was what Jesus said, come. As long as Peter comes to Jesus, as long as he continues to move forward toward where Jesus is, then it really didn't matter what he felt. See, the Bible talks about faith being of the heart. The Bible warns against us accepting doubt or creating doubt in our heart. But as long as we're moving forward according and obeying what the word of God says, how we feel about it doesn't matter. Your feelings don't affect it. You can have faith in your heart even when there's doubt in your mind. As long as you choose not to let the fear paralyze you or keep you from doing what the word says to do. So when, Jesus, when Peter got afraid, the fact that he began to sink tells us specifically that it means he stopped in his journey. He stopped going forward to Jesus. Here in, Matthew, uh, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus has to make sure that this guy doesn't begin to operate according to fear. He doesn't tell him to believe something new. He doesn't tell him it's going to take more faith now that she's dead than before she died. He simply says, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, saying, say Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the, of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. If the devil can't make you fear, he can't make you fail. Look with me to Romans chapter 4. When Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? What's he looking for? What is he going to be looking for from his children 
to identify that we have faith or we put our trust in him. Romans chapter 4, speaking of Abraham, verse 17, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. There are several scriptures that give us a partial definition of what this faith that Jesus is looking for looks like. One of the greatest ones is here in verse, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. Because it tells us about Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham, how that God appeared to him when he was 75 years old and told him to follow him to a land which he would give to him or show him and he would give to him and his seed. And Abraham believed God and took off for the new place, this new land. And along the way, God spoke to him several different times, appeared to him in different uh, situations to give him more information and clarity, perhaps, in the things that God had promised him. The most important part of it, as far as Abraham was concerned, was the children that he and Sarah were not up to that point able to have. And so it tells us that after 24 years, Abraham is 99 years old, that God appears to him one more time and reminds him of the promise. And at that time, even though Abraham has experienced the blessings of God financially and in battle and God has, has delivered him in a number of different ways throughout his lifetime, he seems to have given up on the promise of the son or the child that he had made to him years before because God reminded him of the promise and Abraham laughs in his heart basically saying I'm too old to have another child and Sarah who's 90 about 10 years younger she's too young to have a child too and so somehow in, in his thinking, he's accepted that what God said wasn't going to be true or wasn't going to come to pass. But God speaks to him and says some very specific things to him to inspire him back into faith. And one of the things that he asked him is, is anything too hard for God? Now, I would submit to you that up until that point in time when the Lord begins to bring him back over into faith, I would submit to you that he has accepted that some things are too hard for God. He has apparently accepted the idea, and of course the devil has certainly reinforced this idea by speaking to his mind over a period of time. But he must have accepted that this is just one of the things that God said that's not going to work. And so God has to bring him back to the possibility of his word coming to pass if he's going to get results. God can't do it for him. God can't exercise faith for Abraham. This is something Abraham has to do on his own. And the reason for that is because God gave man authority on the earth and he didn't retain it for himself. So he gives something to Abraham that becomes a foundation for hope 
Abraham didn't have any hope. He had come to the place where he had no hope for that son, the child of promise, being born. So God had to tell him, Abraham, I've already made you the father of nations. In other words, God says that from this standpoint, this is already done as far as I'm concerned. Now, it's certainly not done as far as Abraham's concerned. But God speaks to him and tells him, and the Bible is so good about this. The Bible speaks of the things of God as being in the past tense. In other words, there's nothing more for God to do to make it come to pass. It simply lies in the, the authority, in this case of Abraham, whether or not Abraham is willing to put his faith and trust in God for the promise to be fulfilled. So as it is written, I have made thee the father of many nations. God said to Abraham, you're the father of many nations even before he had any children. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, this word before literally means like. In other words, it's saying that Abraham imitated God in this respect. Paul told, wrote to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, be ye imitators of God. God wants us to imitate him. He wants us to operate and exercise authority in the earth through the spoken word, just like he spoke words that created the universe. So it tells us that Abraham became like unto God in disrespect. He's operating literally in the faith of God. Not just faith in God, but the faith of God. The same spirit of faith that believes and speaks as what God used when he created the universe. So as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations like unto him whom he believed, even God. Now he's going to give you two ways that Abraham operated like God. Two ways that Abraham was like God in the exercise of his authority. The first characteristics, who quickens the dead, and the second characteristic, and call it those things which be not as though they were. So it tells us that Abraham chose to begin to operate like God by speaking life to his body, quickening the dead. He's already identified and it is a physical fact that both, for both him and Sarah that their bodies are too old to have children. Their bodies aren't working reproductively in the way that they did when they were younger. So what did he do? He began to speak life unto his body. He began to call things that be not as though they were. Now this is a definition, or a partial definition at least, of the faith that Jesus is looking for when he returns to the earth. If we say that we're trusting God, and a lot of people put their own definition on what, the, on what faith is and how faith works, but if we're going to operate according to the Bible definition of faith, then that means we're going to be people that are operating in our authority, no matter what things look like around us, no matter how we feel no matter what the circumstances are. 
to speak life to dead areas of our lives and to call things that be not as though they were. Folks, there's nothing that delights God more than his children accepting his word and living like it's true. And a part of living like the word's true is calling things that be not as though they were. Speaking life to dead areas of your life. Speaking the quickening power of God, the life-giving power of God to barren areas of our lives. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Well, then that would have to include this. Without calling things that be not as though they are, there's no way to please God. Without speaking life to dead areas of your life, turning barren areas, desert areas into fruitful territory, then it's impossible to please God. Folks, God's not holding out on us. He's simply waiting for us to act on his word. Let's finish reading the story of Abraham here. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. It just simply means he didn't have anything in the natural realm to put his hope in. He can't look at his body and say, well, I'm stronger than I was yesterday, so that's good. There was nothing about his physical circumstances that he could place hope in to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. So if he's not going to have any hope in the natural realm or any hope from his body or his circumstances, where's he going to get the hope to bring him across the finish line? The hope that he gained was according to what God said. He put his hope in what God said no matter what it looked like, no matter what the circumstances of his life were at that time. He put his hope in what God said, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Let me pull out a knot here. Being weak in faith. Being weak in faith, he considered his body now dead. If he considers his circumstances, if he considers the physical reality of his body, and the word consider there means to gaze at intently. It doesn't mean that he denied the physical facts of his body. It means he chose to put his attention on something other than his body. And that something other was the word that God had spoken to him. So being weak in faith considers your circumstances. But being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So what did he do? Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He staggered not at the promises of God. There's another translation that, that speaks to this a little bit better in my estimation which simply says he staggered not at the promise of God by giving glory to God. He staggered not at the promise of God by giving glory to God. 
Somebody said that faith in its highest form ends in the glad confession. The glad confession. It's mine, I have it now. It's mine, I have it now. So if he's not going to stagger, if the Bible tells us he didn't stagger at the promise of God, that means he doesn't go back and forth between, well, is, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? I feel good today. I don't feel good tomorrow. He staggered not at the promise of God. He was established. He set himself and established himself to not doubt what God had said. Now, folks, we made mention a few moments ago that there are 365 times the Bible says not to fear in some form or another. Every time, it's an instruction for us. In other words, it's our choice whether or not we're going to fear. We don't have to. We never have to. It's always our choice. It's always our choice. Jesus said to, to Jairus when he heard that his daughter was dead, he said, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid. That's a choice that we have to make. Be not afraid, only believe. Jesus knows that if we won't fear, we can't fail. The same thing was true for Abraham. He staggered not at the promise of God to unbelief, but was strong in faith. Here's two characteristics of strong faith. Giving glory to God first and being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, is one of the great scriptures concerning faith. And it goes like this. Fear not, for I am with thee. Fear not, for I am with thee. Would Fear not what? He's saying don't be afraid, but what is he saying don't be afraid of? He simply says, fear not, for I am with thee. That means there's nothing to fear about anything. Folks, we live in a, in a world that more than ever before is operating in such a way to bring us to a level of fear that we've never felt before. The things that Jesus talked about as signs of the end. One of the things was pestilence or plagues. There are powerful forces that are working overtime, diligently, marshalling their forces to try to make us afraid of sickness and disease. Well, what are we going to do? There's no doubt that one of the mass, the greatest mass hysteria operations have taken place over the last year concerning the coronavirus. They want you to be afraid. One of the reasons they want you to be afraid is so you'll take the vaccine. And make no mistake about it, people are making billions of dollars on the vaccine. Remember that Paul told Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. 
I need to make sure that I'm clear on something. And that is, whereas I don't intend to take the vaccine, it's not up to me or anybody else to tell you what you should do. But let me recommend something to you. If you do take the vaccine, mix faith with it. Take it in the name of Jesus. Remind yourself that Mark chapter 16, when Jesus is leaving, one of the last things he said before he departed and went back to heaven. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. One of them is if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Well, folks, if we've got a promise of protection from drinking something deadly, then we can exercise that promise of protection to being injected with something deadly. So if you choose to take the vaccine, mix faith with it. Before you go into the doctor's office, just say to yourself, I'm taking this vaccine in the name of Jesus. I expect that it will bring no harm to my body and produce supernatural results in me to protect me from this virus. So mix faith with everything that you do. Now let me also say that uh, whereas I don't intend to take the vaccine, if they wind up with one of these uh, passport type things where they won't let you travel unless you do take the vaccine, then I'll take the vaccine. I'm not going to let the vaccine or the fear of virus keep me from going to places I need to go. So as far as I'm concerned, it's vaccine or no vaccine doesn't make any difference. But if you're going to take it, take it in faith. Mix faith with it. You understand what I mean by that? Mix faith with it. Expect God to do supernatural things. So I, uh, as I said, Isaiah 41.10, fear not, your choice. Make the choice not to fear because God's with you. God being with you overcomes anything and everything that you might be afraid of or at least be tempted to be afraid of. Then he goes further and says, Neither be thou dismayed, don't be confused, don't be bewildered, don't be broken down. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. That means don't let anything confuse you or bewilder you or cause you to be broken down. Remember Paul talked about perilous times. In the last days, perilous times will come. One meaning of that word perilous is dangerous, but it also means strength reducing. The devil's going to try to reduce your strength through fear. But if he can't make you to fear, he can't make you fail. So God said, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not afraid or dismayed, for I am your God. He then promises to strengthen us. I will strengthen thee. So feeling weak isn't an excuse for fear. He said, I will help thee. 
feeling helpless is an excuse to accept fear. Then he said, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So he's promised to help you where you need help, strengthen you where you feel weak, and uphold you, lift you up by making you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, if God fulfills his promise, what is there to be afraid of? Now, I know the world is going to operate more and more in greater and greater measures of, of fear. One of the things that the Bible says in, in the tribulation period is that men's hearts will fail them for fear. Fear will be so strong, so predominant during the tribulation period that people will have heart attacks just because of their fear. Let me show you another scripture in the Old Testament about fear. In Isaiah chapter 54, verse 14, it says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for or because thou shalt not fear. In other words, it's talking about the oppression, the difficulty, the adversity. Whether or not it becomes yours is based on whether or not you fear. Oppression shall not come near thee, because you choose not to fear. The same thing's true for terror, sudden destruction, for it shall not come near thee. What's going to keep these things from coming near us? Our refusal to fear. Folks, if there's anything you have authority over in this earth, it's authority over fear. How do we exercise that authority? Well, the same way we exercise authority in every other way. We exercise authority over the law of sin and death by accepting the truth of salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us and confessing with our mouth that he's our Lord. So if it's with the heart, man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That means the exercise of authority is always through the words that we speak. And that's how God exercised his authority over the earth to recreate it into what we see now. And made in the likeness and the image of God, we exercise authority in the same manner. Finally, look at Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17. No weapon... No weapon. Did say most weapons. This covers most weapons. It says, "No weapon formed against thee shall prosper." No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You need to think about what no weapon means. That means everything the devil is threatening you with is a lie, and he knows that he can't take you if he can't make you fear. 
No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is part of your heritage as the servant of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. When the devil tries to bring condemnation to you, when he works through other people to stir up adversity or persecution, a part of the inheritance that we have as children of God is that we can condemn those tongues, condemn those voices that would say, that would attempt to make us fear by saying we're unworthy and therefore the word of God doesn't belong to us. If the devil can't make you fear, he can't make you fail. Not in any area not to any degree. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That means end time stuff as it begins to occur around us. It may vastly affect the, the, the world that we live in, but it doesn't have to affect us. If you refuse to fear can't fail let's pray Father we worship you we thank you for the truth of your word we thank you that there's nothing in the universe that's more powerful than the word of God we thank you Father that we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel for your word is the power of God unto salvation, unto deliverance, to rescue us, to make us safe, to make us sound, and to heal our bodies. So we make our boast in you, Lord, no matter what takes place in the world around us, no matter what takes place from the outside, in an attempt to influence us we stand upon your word and your word alone we thank you father that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus so we fear no sickness or disease we thank you father that you meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus and we refuse to fear poverty or lack We thank you, Father, that the peace of God is ours. Peace that passes understanding is ours. So we refuse to worry. Satan, we see from the word of God and we know and we declare that no weapon that you could ever use against us shall prosper. We refuse to fear because God is with us. We refuse to be dismayed because God is on our side. We thank you, Lord, for helping us, for strengthening us, and for upholding us with the right hand of your righteousness. Thank you, Father, that we have authority over all the work of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God for his word. Father, we worship you, we magnify you, we give you thanks because your word is true and your word never, ever, ever fails. Thank you, Father, for working supernaturally in us and for us in these last days. Lord, we look for you to come quickly. But we recognize there's a lot of work yet to be done before you come. So we thank you, Lord, for showers of rain, showers of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for lightnings, the manifestation of your presence, and the display of your power. In Jesus' precious name, amen.